Well, today we're going to be finishing up our lesson series on prayer and the doctrine of prayer. Now, this particular lesson series, generally we take about six lessons to go through all of these, and this has went a little long. This is the eighth lesson, but um, this has been a very necessary uh, lesson series for us to go through because prayer is necessary, and as such, it is important that we truly understand you know, the importance and value of prayer. And first and foremost, just by way of review, you know, when we talk about prayer, what we're talking about is this, you know, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ, by the help of his spirit, with confession of our sins and a thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. That is what prayer is. Prayer is not us treating God as a genie, asking him to, to just give us whatever we want. Prayer is not talk therapy in which we just go to God as some sort of therapist. No. No, prayer is us humbly offering up our desires unto him for things agreeable to his will, not to our will, to his will, in the name of Christ, by the help of his Holy Spirit, with confession of our sins and a thankful acknowledgement of his mercy. Now, we've talked about why it is that we can be confident in prayer. We've talked about those presuppositions that underlie it. And if you recall, those presuppositions were this, one, that God exists. Because if God does not exist, then what are you praying to? You might as well be praying to Santa Claus at that point in time. So we know God exists. Not only is it that God exists, but that he's in control of all things. Otherwise, if he wasn't in control of all things, what would be the point of praying to a God that could not, that does not control things? So we know that God controls things. That is why we're able to pray to him and ask him of things. Not only that, but we know that we can communicate with him. We, we are able to, to talk with him. He is not a distant God, someone who is far off, but someone rather who we can approach. But we approach him through Christ because in and of ourselves, we are sinful. And it's because of those things that we can have confidence that there is power in our prayer, that our prayers are efficacious, that they're not just a waste of time. So we've looked at all of this in the last five uh, lessons. We've looked particularly at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, that was that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when the disciples asked them, Lord, how do we pray? And we spent the previous four lessons looking at each of the parts of the Lord's Prayer. So today, we're going to be finishing up by looking at that final petition along with the conclusion. So that final petition that we see in the Lord's Prayer is this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, as believers who have been justified in Christ Jesus, we know that our sins have been once for all dealt with. That is what the word tells us. However, although we are declared righteous, we are still growing in righteousness throughout our lives. Remember, justification is a declarative act. We are declared righteous. But at that point in time, we still have that inner corruption. And we are conforming throughout our lives, becoming more and more Christ-like until we attain that state of glorification. So being that that is the case, we do still fall into sin. As Christians, we are surrounded by things that entice our flesh and attempts to draw us away from complete devotion 
to God and his word. Now, sometimes those things are overt. They're clear. Other times they're, they're not. But because those things surround us and we still do not possess that glorified body, which we will receive at the last day, either at, our, you know, at, at the last day when Christ returns, giving in to those enticements, those temptations, that's a danger that we have to be on guard against. And therefore, this is why we see in the Lord's Prayer, this prayer asking God to not lead us into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. Because it's a must for us to pray this prayer if we want to live holy lives. Now, there's a couple of things when we look at this petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There are a couple of things that we are asking God for. And we're going to go over them today. The first is this. When we make this request, we're asking God to not be lured into sin by Satan or our own flesh or the world. Second, we are asking God to keep us watchful at all times against temptation. Third, we're asking God to help us to be strong in that hour of temptation. And fourth, we're asking God to help us to be diligent in the use of those means of grace that he has provided for us. So let's look at each one. Let's look at the first. When, again, we're making this request to God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're asking him that we are not lured into sin by Satan or our own flesh or the world. You know, we, we cannot forget this fact that as believers, we have an enemy who wants to destroy us, Satan. Matter of fact, the name Satan means the adversary or the one who opposes. When we are redeemed out of that dominion of Satan and placed within the family of God in our adoption, Satan does not go away quietly. No, we would like that, but that is not the case. Rather than accept defeat, what does he do? He continues to try to exert control over us. His desire is that we suffer the same fate as he on the last day. Therefore, Satan will do what he can to lure us into sin again. Now, remember, Satan is not omnipresent, nor is he omnipotent. But he does have his legions of demons. And as Christians, we must be on guard against Satan, against his demons and against his schemes. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, these honest words. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. See, as believers, we, you know, we may not want to be in a war, in a battle, but the reality is that we are. So either you understand the fact that we are in a war, we're in a battle, or you don't, and you deal with the consequences of falling for the traps of Satan. Now, there are two great errors that we have believed, we as believers, we need to avoid. First, we need to avoid the error of believing that Satan does not really exist, and we need to avoid the error of giving Satan too much power. I'm going to deal with the latter error later, but I want to focus on this first error right now because this is prevalent in our day and age. You know, because we live in this intellectual era where we're smarter than everyone, all these technological advances. So therefore, to us in our intellectual age, Satan, he doesn't really exist. No, he's 
just a personification of all the sins and struggles that we deal with. But he's not really someone that we need to be on guard for. That is what we think. That is what society thinks. But that is patently false. See, this is quite possibly one of Satan's greatest deceptions, making people deny his existence. If you deny that Satan exists, think about it. Why would you be on the lookout for his schemes? The Bible makes it emphatically clear that Satan does exist, and he is our enemy. From the very beginning of time, Satan has been at work luring people to hell. And as Christians, we must not be so naive as to assume that he does not exist. While we should not assume that he has more power than he truly has, we must not deny that he is a crafty being that would want nothing more than to see us destroyed. So what we are to do is be on guard against his schemes and be ready to battle him every day. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, these strong words. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Do you hear that, brothers and sisters? Do you hear that? Where our struggle is, where the war is. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Having done everything to stand firm, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So take up the full armor of God. It's not your armor, it's the armor of God. And one thing that is important to keep in mind, and which is why we pray this prayer to God, asking him to not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because don't be so, don't be so cocky as to assume that you in and of yourself can combat Satan. No, you need God. You need God. And then when we pray this prayer, we are, we are asking him to be with us. You know, when David fought Goliath. He didn't trust in his own power, in his own ability, in his own strength, but rather he entrusted himself to God and God helped him on the day of battle. Likewise, when you entrust yourself to God, asking him to deliver you from evil or as some translations have it, the evil one, which would be Satan, he will supply you with the strength, with the full armor of God to be delivered from his schemes. So in this prayer, we're asking God to help us, to deliver us from the lies, the traps that Satan puts in front of us. But while Satan's schemes are oftentimes the reason why we fall into temptation, it is not the only reason. Sometimes, and this is important to understand too, because this speaks to the other trap that sometimes we fall into. The reason sometimes that we give into sin is because of our still corrupt flesh. 
You know, I talked earlier about the two great errors that many people fall into as it pertains to Satan. The one in which we deny that he exists, but then the other in which we give him way too much credit and way too much power. You know, many times we see people falling into that error. They fall into sin and, oh, well, you know, Satan made me do it. And then, you know, while in one aspect, there are many times in which, no, it absolutely is Satan tempting you. Other times, no, it's your sinful flesh. While they might, while they will not express, expressly state it, you know, many people live their lives as though Satan were omnipresent or omnipotent. You have many people who would even make the argument that, see, really in this world you have, you know, Satan over here and God over here and they're just battling each other, forgetting that, no, that is not the case at all. Do we, have we ignored the scriptures that show us that Satan has no authority You know, while Satan is an adversary that we must fight against, we cannot forget that our own flesh is oftentimes our biggest enemy. The Apostle James, he writes this in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. In verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Ah. See, James doesn't say that the reason why we are tempted is because of Satan. He says that we are tempted because of our own lust. Our sinful desires entice us to give in to temptation. Now, Satan does use our corrupt flesh against us from time to time. That is true. But many times what lures us is the fact that we are enticed by our own sinful flesh. And here's an inconvenient truth that so many of us Christians don't want to admit. You know, while we may not want to fall into sin, we don't mind being tempted. In fact, oftentimes we may want to see how close we can get to the line without crossing it. Because of our sinful flesh, there will always be some desire to sin that we have to fight each and every day. We fool ourselves into thinking that we are strong enough to resist temptation. We fool ourselves. Sometimes we are, but many times we're not. But see, because we fall for that delusion that we're stronger than we really are, we don't realize the, the fallenness of our own flesh, we find ourselves in compromising circumstances and needing to repent and seek forgiveness. So I read this as I was studying and preparing for this lesson, um, this account. I'll just read it to you. Professor Adams tells of a young man who passed by a certain movie theater each day where sinful pictures were being shown. Each time he would resolve not to go in, and again and again he would succumb to temptation. When he asked why he walked down that street to begin with, he saw the real problem. He had not wanted to avoid temptation. It was easy for him to not give in to temptation. Just don't go down that road. But see, so often, so often, well, we don't want to fall into sin, but you know what? You know, that little game of how close we can get to the fire without being burned, we want to do. And then more times than not, we get burned. Jesus, right before he gets betrayed by Judas, 
as he was preparing for the suffering he was about to endure, tells his disciples in Matthew 26, verse 41, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our corrupt flesh is indeed weak. And as such, we must be humble enough to acknowledge the weakness of our flesh so that we don't needlessly give in to temptation because we refuse to accept our weakness. Now, along with Satan and our flesh, the world is another potential temptation pitfall for us. By the world, we are talking about the things in the world that entice our flesh. Besides the deception of Satan and the weakness of our flesh, the things in this world can be a source of many temptations if we are not on guard. Satan will oftentimes use our desires for the things in this world to keep us from being fully devoted to God. John writes in 1 John 2, verse 15 through 17, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but it's from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. In the parable of the sower that we see in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talks about different seeds that fall on different soil. One seed fell on thorns. That represented a person who they hear the gospel, but then the cares of the world keeps the gospel from transforming the individual. That person loved the world more than they did God, and as a result, he chose to be in the world rather than be in Christ. James tells us in James 4.4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. As believers, we are still in the world, although we are not of the world. As such, we see all the delights of the world and it does entice us. But if we're not careful, those delights can end up being our snares, our traps. So in praying this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are asking God to keep us from being enticed by the fleeting desires that the world has to offer. Now, along with asking God to keep us from being enticed by Satan, by the world, by our own flesh, when we make this prayer, we are also asking him to keep watchful at all times against temptation. Jesus told his disciples, I already read it, but I'll repeat it again in Matthew 26, to keep watching and praying in order that they don't enter into temptation. Peter told the church in Rome in 1 Peter 5, which I read earlier, to be sober-minded so that they don't fall for the enemy's trap. Peter tells the church in Thessalonica to be sober and alert for the coming day of the Lord. There is a constant theme that we find in the scriptures of not letting our guard down when it comes to sin. See, and when we make this petition, we are asking God to enable us to keep alert and not be caught off guard. Again, remember, this is a war, brothers and sisters. And anyone that has ever been into a war understands that though there may be times in which you are resting, you are always keeping alert. Because oftentimes when you're not paying attention, that is why when the enemy attacks. There are no off days when it comes to our battle against sin. Even on this precious day, the Lord's day, our day of rest, we are still actively keeping watch against sin. We will not fully rest and be at full peace until either we die and are with Christ or Christ returns. But until then, we have to be very watchful when it comes to sin. Along with being watchful, we're also asking God 
to help us to be strong in the hour of temptation. Now, we have to understand that in this fallen world that we live in, there are unfortunately moments of sudden temptation that come upon us. You know, even if you're doing all that you can to avoid besetting sins, there can be a moment in which an unexpected temptation comes before us. In those moments, we need strength from God in order to not give in. So when we pray to God daily, we ask God to grant us strength in those unexpected moments. Now, one of the things that we can be confident in, even when those moments come, those unexpected moments of temptation that maybe we weren't as prepared for as we thought, that God will supply us with a way of escape. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the Apostle Paul, he writes to the church in Corinth and tells him this, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, listen to this, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also. Will provide the way of escape. Not may, not might, not this time, but then another time he won't. Will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Huh. See, being as God's word tells us this, then what we need is the strength to endure during those moments and pray that God helps us to see those escape routes and take it because they will be there. But the question is, will you take those routes when they are there? Because see, there's the problem with our flesh. Many times we may even recognize the escape routes, but again, temptation feels good. So we close our eyes to those ways of escape. That is why asking God for strength and endurance in the hour of temptation becomes so important, brothers and sisters. And the last reason why it is that we pray this prayer, or one of the things that we ask for, for God, excuse me, in praying this prayer. We're asking God when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're also asking him to to help us to be diligent in the use of those means of grace that God provides for us. You know, this is probably the single most important element in this prayer. You know, when we pray to not be led into temptation, we are asking God to help us to use his means of grace to strengthen us so that we are able to stand firm. Now, what do we mean by his means of grace? Well, we're talking about the word of God, the scriptures. We're talking about prayer, and we're talking about the sacraments. When you are rightly exercising those means, you will be able to combat sin. I remember reading many, many years ago a book. I don't even remember who the author was. I think it might have been Tim Challies, but I, I, I don't remember. But in the book, there was a person who met uh, John MacArthur. And in meeting John MacArthur, John MacArthur, for whatever reason, asked him to, to see his Bible. Now, the person was a little embarrassed because his Bible was not in the greatest of conditions. You know, because of him highlighting, taking notes, just reading through it, you know, it was falling apart. It wasn't, again, it wasn't in tip-top shape. So, you know, he gave the book to John MacArthur, and then he was apologetic because, again, you know, it was not in the best of shape. And John MacArthur told him that he didn't need to apologize because a person whose Bible is falling apart usually means that the person isn't falling apart. So how often are you in the word of God? 
How often are you studying the scriptures? How often are you pouring over the scriptures to meditate it? David tells us in Psalm chapter one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. David writes in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Are you reading the scriptures? Are you meditating over it? Are you pouring yourself? Are you using this means of grace that God has given to you to build you up in sanctification? Are you praying? Are you devoting yourselves to prayer? What about the Lord's Supper? Each Lord's Day, we take the Lord's Supper, we eat the bread, we drink the wine, representing his body, representing his death, representing our salvation, the fact that we are in him. Do you truly contemplate these things and understand who you are in Christ? Are you benefiting from it? Remember, you're either benefiting from it or you're being cursed by it. What are you? See, these means of grace are given to us for our benefit. If we do not want to give in to temptation, then we need to ask God to help us to be diligent in exercising these means of grace. Now, after praying this petition and all the other petitions that we have seen over the last few weeks, we, we end our prayer with this doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A beautiful, beautiful phrase with just one problem. Did, did Jesus actually say these words? You know, one of the big problems with this final part of the Lord's Prayer is whether or not they were even uttered by Jesus. You know, many of the more ancient manuscripts of the New Testament do not have this final part of the Lord's Prayer and I do tend to think that that final part, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, is not in the original Greek manuscript. Now, that being said, while the Bible may not have originally, originally said this, these phrases here, the Bible most certainly teaches thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You know, as students of the Bible, we must understand that there are things that the Bible explicitly says and then there are things that the Bible teaches. The things that the Bible says is the words that we find written in the pages of the scripture. And then the things that the Bible teaches are the propositions that come from the things that are written in the Bible. And I'll just give you a couple of examples. The Bible does not say the word Trinity. You will not find that word in the Bible at all. But the Bible does teach the doctrine of the Trinity. The Bible does not say the words original sin. But the Bible teaches the doctrine of original sin. I'll use one that Jesus uses on the Pharisee. The account of Moses, if you read it in the book of Exodus, of Moses in the burning bush, does not say anything about the resurrection of the dead. But according to Jesus, so it's not my words, it's Jesus' words in Mark chapter 12. The account of Moses in the burning bush teaches about the resurrection of the dead. So again, you have the propositions, the teachings itself that come out from the pages of Scripture. 
So even though we may admit that the original manuscripts may not have had the words that we find in the latter half of Matthew 6 verse 13, the original manuscripts most definitely taught what the conclusion teaches. And here are some verses that support what I'm saying, that the Bible does teach, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Psalm 62, verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Well, that sounds a lot like thine is the power. First Chronicles, chapter 29, verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt as head over all. Well, that sounds a lot like thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, doesn't it? And then we have Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Then finally, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So again, yeah, the, the last part of what we commonly know as the Lord's Prayer may not have had the words expressly stated, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, but rest assured, brothers and sisters, Oh, the Bible most emphatically teaches that thy God, it's a kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And it's because we understand those truths that we even have the confidence to pray to God in the first place. Because if the kingdom was not God's, then we have no confidence whatsoever in our prayers. We cannot ask God to deliver us from evil if the kingdom and the power did not belong to God. We could not ask God for our daily bread if he was not ruler over all and had power over all. We could not ask God for forgiveness for our sins if he was not king and he did not have power to forgive sins. It is because the proposition thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever is true that we can utter all the previous petitions and make any meaningful prayers. So when you pray, we start off with doxology to God and we end with praise to God, acknowledging the fact that thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Rest assured, brothers and sisters, we are. There's all this talk nowadays in regards to white supremacy and all of that. We are God supremacists. We want to uphold the glory of God and all that we do. So in our prayers, we do that very thing. We extol that him is the glory and the power. His is the kingdom. Now, closing all of this, you know, over the last eight lessons, we have covered this important doctrine of prayer. We have covered what prayer is, why we can be confident in our prayers, and our demeanor that we're to have while we're praying, and how God God taught his disciples to pray. But please remember this as I leave you today, that prayer is more than a doctrine. Everything that we covered in these eight lessons is not meant to stay in the recesses of your mind, to contemplate, but it ought to translate into a more diligent and fruitful prayer life. 
And my encouragement to everyone here and everyone who may be listening elsewhere is that as we move on to study other doctrines, that you don't forget about this particular series. Prayer is something that we so often neglect to take advantage of in our walk as Christians. And I don't want for you to neglect the benefit that can be found just by regular prayer. So my prayer for all of you is that your prayer life may be strongly enriched by the things we covered during this series. Keep praying, saints. Be devoted to prayer. Pray without ceasing. Don't stop communicating with God. He has granted us access to his throne through Christ. So make it your mission to constantly come to him, to commune with him in prayer.